If you have your Bibles, I'd ask that you turn to Matthew chapter 26. As we're kind of taking this walk to the cross and, and, and beyond, that, that we have to find ourselves at this section, as, as Rob said, you know, he hasn't read my sermon, I haven't either, so we'll kind of... Uh, I've read it. My wife wrote it. Um, we find ourselves in the life of Jesus as he is nearing his final approach to our redemption. And it's going to come into a point late at night, matter of fact, in the middle of the night, this transpires. We find it in Matthew chapter 26, beginning there in verse 36. Jesus went with them to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to his disciples, Sit here while I go over there and pray. And taking with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, that's James and John, he began to be sorrowful and troubled. And he said to them, My soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and, and watch with me. Going on a little further, he fell on his face and he prayed, saying, My Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. And he came to the disciples and he found them sleeping. He said to Peter, So could you not watch with me one hour? Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Again, for a second time, he, he went away and he prayed. My father, if this cannot pass unless I drink it, your will be done. And again, he found them sleeping for their eyes were heavy. And so leaving them again, he went away and he prayed for the third time, saying the same words again. And then he came to the disciples and he said to them, Sleep and take your rest later on. See, the hour is at hand and the Son of Man is being betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. And while he was still speaking... Judas came, one of the twelve, and with him a great crowd with swords and clubs from the chief priests and the elders of the people. Now the betrayer had given them a sign saying, the one I will kiss is the man, seize him. And he came up to Jesus at once and said, greetings, rabbi. And he kissed him. And Jesus said to him, Friend, do what you came to do. Then they came up, and they laid hands on Jesus and seized him. Have you ever had a night? It was so dark that you really couldn't see. And I'm not talking about a, a physical 
darkness with no stars in the sky. I'm talking about a night that was so dark and foreboding that you just, you didn't know what to do, where to go, who to, who to talk to, what, what could you do in that night? That's a night that Jesus is encountering right here in our text. 16-year-old Linda, she was going through a very deep emotional struggle and just the pain of, of her life. I mean, her, her stepfather hated her, and he made life miserable for her. Her real father was in prison, and he didn't seem to care at all about her problems because he had his own. Her mother... Well, she was afraid to say anything to her husband for fear of retribution, so she just told Linda, it's, it's not really that bad. It, 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 you know, it's not that bad. You, you can handle it. But she needed somebody to talk to, so she called her boyfriend, John, and she asked him if he could come over and she could, she could just sit with him and talk with him and share with him, and he told her that he couldn't, and he hung up. Later she found out that her boyfriend was out on another date with a different girl. And how much darker could that night get? Maybe you've had one of those dark nights and it was maybe a night that you discovered the death of a loved one and you had not had an opportunity to, to tell them how much they meant to you. Maybe it was the, the end of a really close friendship that you'd had through the years or possibly it was the ending of a marriage or an engagement. Perhaps it was the darkest night of your life when you discovered that you had cancer or you had just awakened and found out you'd had a heart attack or stroke. Maybe your darkest night was the evening you came home after work with no job to go to tomorrow. Or you came home and found out you really had no home there anymore. There are dark nights that we all have. And usually those dark nights are nights that they come upon us from outside forces that we have no control over. But this was a dark night for Jesus that he was creating on his own. He was moving to this night for this very purpose. And yet in the humanity of who he was he still was going to struggle. You think about it for a moment. Think about how hurt you have been when you've had those dark nights. The pain that maybe you had to experience at that moment. Did you feel alone? What, what could you do? What did you do in that moment when you felt that the world was just closing in on you? Well, this morning, I kind of want us to walk through this Garden of Gethsemane with Jesus and just discover what, what, it, what it meant for him that there on that hillside near Jerusalem on, on the Mount of Olives in this beautiful place, yet it was a place in which he was going to endure one of his darkest evenings because he was going to discover that his God was going to Abandon him. His father was going to leave him and not spare him from even his wrath upon sin because he was going to take upon his shoulders the sin of all mankind in just a few short hours. Can you think about the agony that maybe he went through at that moment? And how dark 
that night have been for him to fully experience what he had been moving forward to his entire life. Jesus, as he walked on a little deeper into the garden, he told Peter, James, and John, he, he told them there in verse 38, my soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch with me. Can you imagine the, the, the soul and the heart of our loving Messiah? He was so struggled within that he says, I don't even feel like I can live. I feel like I'm going to die. Can you watch for me just for a little while? But this is just the beginning of the story. There would come more dark moments that night, and I, I want to just kind of uncover the shade of some of those for a moment for you. The first one is this, the denial of his request while he prayed. Look at verse 39. It says, And going on a little further, he fell on his face and he prayed, saying, My father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. In his book, just like Jesus, Max Lucado writes these words. He says, The prayer of Jesus was unanswered. Jesus and unanswered prayer in the same phrase, isn't that an oxymoron? Would, would the son of Henry have no Ford motor car or the child of Bill Gates own no computer? Would, would God, the one who owns the cattle on a thousand hills, keep something from his own son? Well, he did that night. And as a result, Jesus had to deal with the dilemma of unanswered prayers. Well, let me say this, however. There really is no unanswered prayer. God always responds to our prayers. Maybe it's not the way that we anticipate, or maybe it's not the way we want it to happen. God may say yes, and He may fulfill your request, but then again, He may say no and deny them. Or He may say later and postpone the answer for a time period, or... He may say, well, not quite like that. How about if we alter it a little bit and change it? But he's still going to give you the answer to your prayer, but maybe not the full answer of what you had anticipated. So technically, God did answer Jesus' prayer that night, and he said, no. You've got to go to the cross. But notice how Jesus prayed. There in verse 39, he said, My Father, if it is possible, if it's possible. This is the humanity of Jesus crying out because his body does not want to endure what it's about to endure. But if it's not possible, what is he asking? Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. I want what you want, Father. The cup did not pass. And God's will was done. 
The purpose of Jesus' prayer was to, to let that cup pass. The cup, every time it's referred to as the cup of the Lord within the Scripture, it's often referred as the wrath of God. It's His judgment. It's His punishment upon those who have become the enemy of God, those who are living in sin against Him. And the cup that He is about to drink is the one that is the wrath of God upon the sin of all mankind. And passing that cup off, that part was unfulfilled. Jesus had to drink of that cup. And he cried out to his Father in heaven. So whenever we have cried out to God in prayer, in, in all our prayers seem to fall on deaf ears, what do we do? Well, sometimes we pout. We throw our own little pity party and we think, woe is me because God doesn't care about my needs. Sometimes we actually scold God and, and we say, well, if that's the way you're going to be God, I don't want you serving me anymore. We've got it backwards there. Sometimes we seek comfort from alcohol or drugs or, or some other thing that's going to fulfill our, our in, in, enjoyment and in, in the physical pleasures of life. Sometimes people just kick their faith out the door and they walk away from church and God altogether. But sometimes, sometimes, we learn to be patient. We know that the final chapter of life has not been read yet. And he knows the ending. Sometimes we, we learn to submit our will to his and we surrender to what he plans to do in our lives and we just let him have his way with us. Sometimes, we just don't know what to do. But ask yourself, where would you be? Where would you be and what would your life look like if God answered every prayer exactly the way you asked it? James Fridman, he does uh, photography and, and he's, he's getting well known on the internet for his ability with Photoshop to, to take literally what people are asking and to change their picture to meet their requests. So one person sent in a picture and said, can you make my head look a little less round? <laughs> well, sure, we can do that. Uh, hey, James, I really like Harry Potter. Can you Photoshop me so I look like I'm a Harry Potter character? Oh, okay. Hi, James. Can, can you make the waterfall look bigger and closer? Well, there it is, right? Well, hi, James. Could you get more leaves on the tree? Hey, can you make me look like I'm in a really cool place and not a lake in the background? How much cooler do you want? I like this one, too. Can you make me look like I'm in the tree? You see, if we ask God our prayers and He literally responds the way we're asking, I think we're going to make a mess of things. I'm glad He doesn't respond to my prayers when I ask Him certain things because I know that it is for my benefit only, maybe. Because if God takes us literally for what we're asking and what we're praying, it all depends on what the response is going to be, even then it may not be what we want. 
So where would your life be right now if God said yes to Jesus' prayer? As Jesus is saying, Father, if it is all possible, let this cup pass from me. And he says, oh, don't say any more. Okay. We'll let it pass. You don't have to die on the cross. You don't have to do that. So I really don't want you to experience that pain and that pressure that's right there. Every father would tell him, his son, I don't want you to have to go through that. So if you don't want to, that's fine with me. But think about it. If God answered his prayer the way the humanity of Jesus was asking, if he had removed the cross from his agenda, well, that would leave us unforgiven to die in our own sins, to face God with our own failures, to receive what is rightly and justly ours. You see, Jesus cried out for his physical deliverance, and his request there was denied. And it was a truly dark night for Jesus. I mean, his own father withheld from him his, his deliverance from the hour that made him literally sweat drops of blood. The stress and the tension that goes into people when they get so anxious. There are moments that people's blood vessels literally burst and, and it enters into their sweat and comes out. Now that stress, I don't know anybody who has had that dark of an hour, but Jesus did The cross was not removed. His date with death was not postponed or even changed. But there was more to come that night. Something else added to the darkness of that evening there in that garden. It was the failure of his friends that he counted on. Matthew 26.40 says, He came to his disciples and he found them sleeping. And he said to Peter, So you could not watch for one hour? Man, this was a huge disappointment to Jesus. He needed his friends, and where were they? Sleeping. They should have been sharing in his suffering and his burden and his prayer that night, but they were there snoring away. They should have been supporting him. But let's be fair to his disciples. You know, he didn't mean to be they didn't really mean to be insensitive or uncaring. They were just tired. You all, and I've been there before. We're, we've been to those points where we're just so tired, we can't even keep our eyes open. Maybe you've had friends who've done the same thing to you. They've let you down in your hour of need. Was it a friend that... You've helped in the past every time they've asked, and all of a sudden they don't have time to help you. Maybe it could have been a child whom you sacrificed things for so that it would be to their benefit, and you raised them up and showed them you loved them. Now, when you need them, they can't sacrifice for you. Was it a brother or sister in church that seemed disinterested or uncaring when you were going through some pain on your own? Jesus' closest friends... They seemed insensitive when he truly needed him at his darkest hour. But he wasn't harsh with them. He may have been disappointed, I'm sure, but he recognized their weariness. 
He understood that the physical life has weaknesses with it. And after all, this is in the middle of the night. I mean, they didn't even leave the upper room until after midnight, and they had that big full meal. And you know how it is when you eat a big full meal and it's late at night. You're ready for bed. Even in the afternoon, you're ready for a nap. They were tired. So he gave them credit for their willingness to try, and he tolerated their weakness. So how do we treat those who let us down, who, who, who react and how do we react to those who, who just, just, they aren't there when we need them? Do we reject them and shut them out of our lives and say, well, I'm never going to have you as a friend anymore? Do we let them down the next time they ask us for help and say, well, sorry, I can't help you? Do we retreat into the shell of our life and we vow that we're never going to allow anybody into our lives again so we can't be hurt? Or do we give them the benefit of the doubt Do we acknowledge their willingness to try, but their inability to do so because of whatever insufficiency they may have? Do we overlook their weaknesses? Or do we anticipate and expect things beyond what they can actually offer? See, Jesus found his friend sleeping, and the truth is, he was alone in his agony. This was the only thing he could do by himself that nobody could help him with at this moment. And he has come for this very reason, for this very hour. And there are times in a dark night we'll come and we'll face life struggles all alone, but that doesn't mean that God doesn't have time to answer our requests. Or our friends don't seem to care and they've abandoned us. Jesus faced that in his darkest hour, but things got even darker that night. There was that unfaithful betrayer, Judas. Let's look at verse 46 to 48 again. It says, rise, let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. And while he was still speaking, Judas came, one of the twelve, and with him a great crowd with swords and clubs from the chief priest and the elders of the people. And now the betrayer had given them a sign saying, the one I kiss is the man, seize him. When you stop to think about it, Judas was probably not the only one in the crowd that night that betrayed Jesus. Maybe in the midst of this great company of people who were coming with swords and clubs, there might have been one whom had been healed by Jesus earlier on. Maybe there was somebody in there that that Jesus had cast demons out of their lives, and they've allowed them to come back. There might have been a leper in that crowd, and now he's able to go with the mob before he had to be an outcast. Verse 56 tells us that the disciples left him and they fled. Isn't that a little bit of betrayal as well? I don't know about you, but there have been times I've been betrayed. How about you? I mean, people that I thought I could trust, people I thought I could depend upon, people I thought were always going to be there with me, and then they weren't. Betrayal can mean that that person who's the backstabber, the the double-crosser, the one who's disloyal in your friendship. Maybe it's someone who told others about something you told them in confidence, and they let it out of the bag, and they told everybody else. Maybe it was a so-called friend who said something against you to somebody else behind your back. Maybe it was 
an unfaithful spouse who broke their wedding vows and violated the marriage covenant. Maybe it was the one who kept silent and didn't say a word, and they left you holding the bag and getting all the trouble. You see, Jesus was betrayed, and then he does something that defies human logic and reason. Here comes Judas, his betrayer, and he betrays Jesus with a kiss. Now, I have to ask myself, did did Jesus know that Judas was going to come and was going to kiss him? Jesus has always had this uncanny ability to know what people were thinking even before they said the words, and he would answer their questions as they were internally going through things. I think he knew it. I mean, from looking back at the history of Jesus and his interaction with people, surely he knew that Judas was going to come And he stood there and he waited for the moment for Judas to kiss him. But then Jesus calls him friend, etairos, in verse 50. He calls him his friend. But Judas isn't a friend any longer, is he? I mean, he's a traitor. He's this double-crosser. He was this one who was stabbing Jesus in the back almost literally... But Jesus says, he's his friend, my friend. And you know what's even more unique? Is he calls us friend. Even though I know that I have betrayed him at times, that I have been silent when I should have stood up for him. But he still says friend. So how do we treat those who betray us? Do we get even? Do we lash out at them? Or do we we try and destroy their, their reputation and their character? Or do you offer them a chance to renew that friendship? Do you extend the hand of grace and forgiveness? Do you react in the flesh or do you respond like Jesus in spirit? See, like our young lady early on, Linda... She was scared, she was hurting, and she was desperate. It seemed like nobody was there to help her, but God sent her minister to her. And he started giving her some wise biblical counsel and began building a relationship with her and with her parents to help her overcome things. And she found a friend at the church who would be the right through and go through the same similar problems and was able to grow and mature in spite of the struggles of life. And what she learned was that things do change. The pain does go away, and happiness is on the other side. However, pain can, at times, return. But so does the joy and the happiness that God promises us. What a dark night Jesus faced. His prayer was turned down, or so it seems. His friends They failed him, and one disciple even became a traitor and betrayed him and turned him over so that he could be crucified. That kind of brings us to the so what part of the sermon here as we conclude and bring it all together. I mean, what does this mean to you and me? Could we literally walk with him into that garden that night? Would we have been one of the ones that would have 
fallen asleep in his hour of need? Or would we stand watch? The letter to the Hebrews gives us this clue in Hebrews chapter 4, verses 15 and 16. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in our time of need. See, you don't have to go through this dark night all alone because God says that He will be with us right there. And He does not sleep nor slumber. He is always at work for you and your salvation. There is one who understands. There is one who can help. There is one who will not sleep while you agonize through a long, dark night. There is one who will not betray you, forsake you, or leave you. Now, God may not remove the bitter cup that you must drink that night. But he drank one that is worse than yours. And he knows all about the pain. And he cares. He cares for each one of us. And though you may be going through maybe one of the darkest nights of your life, morning will come. Maybe even an hour earlier. But it will come. And with it, there is a new joy New life. Your friends may not care. They may not come to our rescue when we need them the most. But when we ask, does Jesus care? Look to the cross and you'll know. He cares. And that's why he went through that dark night. To let you know that he does care. And all he wants is for you to say, I want you as my friend. And I want to be your friend. And so he gives to each one of us a call to that relationship with him. If you don't have a relationship with Jesus, if you have never accepted him as your Lord and Savior, as your friend, man, today... Let me introduce you to him. Come on down when we're done here, and, and, and I'll, we'll sit down with you. We'll go through, and we'll, we'll get you to know him. I will share my friendship with him, with you, and maybe you two will become even better friends than I am. But he wants a relationship with each one of you. That is why he endured that one dark night. Let's stand together.